Are you a conference person, maybe a speaker, vendor, or an attendee? Well, we're heading into conference season, and it's good to know what to expect. And we have the right guy with us this week because he has been putting on conferences for 37 years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by the president of DRJ, Bob Arnold. Bob and I talk about the upcoming DRJ Fall Conference, Focus on Resiliency. Bob shares that this year's conference will talk about proactive approaches to preparing organizations for disruption. And I make a special offer to anyone who would like to speak at a conference for the first time. We'll talk to Bob, too, about his commitment to DEI and the challenges DRJ faces navigating a divisive landscape. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production. Bob, welcome to the podcast. I'm sure pretty much everybody knows who you are, but just take a minute and introduce yourself, please. Most certainly. Well, thanks for having me on, first off. Uh, I'm Bob Arnold, president here, executive publisher and head maintenance man at DRJ. Uh, <laughs> I think I think most readers don't really understand how incredibly small DRJ is. We only have seven full-time employees with a few contractors, so we do it all in-house. Uh, I, I truly do take great pride in what we've accomplished over the past 37 years, and mm-hmm. I, I think it comes from that true grassroots approach from our small business small, but I'd say mighty staff. So uh, that's who I am. And thank you for that. And what's interesting is, so you're running two conferences, uh, DRJ Spring and DRJ Fall. Uh, Have you always done two conferences? I mean, you talk about 37 years. Um, How did the conferences evolve? Uh, we we have always done two. Uh, we started in 1988 was our very first show. Uh, we we flip flopped them a little bit. We've moved cities here and there. Uh, our spring show used to be in the on the west coast, and our fall show in the uh, uh, on the in the Florida Peninsula. So we we did flip those, but we've done two shows a year for those 37 years. We're coming up on our 70th conference uh, here next year. Yeah, that's amazing. Sometime you have to go back and and think that through and see just how many presentations that's a, that equates to because that's going to be quite a large number. So congratulations on the history of it. We're just a a few weeks away from DRJ Fall 2023 and this year's theme is focus on resiliency. So talk to us about the theme and what you're looking forward to and what we can expect from this year's conference. Well, sure. The theme is kind of focusing on resiliency. It, it refers to the concept of, I guess, building and strengthening uh, the ability of any organization uh, to withstand, adapt to, or recover from any sort of incident. It's more of a proactive approach, I'd, I'd say, uh, on dealing with disruptions, disasters, or really any difficult situation an organization may face. Uh, I guess that's comparably to a more traditional approach of a reactive or incident-based approach that we've always done in business continuity of dealing with scenarios or risks facing your organization. So the theme is trying, I guess, to really focus on that idea of resiliency as a concept of as a whole and how to incorporate that into most critical business processes and decisions your organization face. That's a really good way to describe it. We have guests on um, all the time talking about resilience, uh, whether it's operational resilience or or various different uh, uh, iterations of that. And your description there w- was one of the best that we've had. I mean, when you talk about uh, it's it's 
shifting that focus away from recovery just to being more resilient. So well done on that. And I think we still have to plan for scenarios. You certainly have to address, you know, a hurricane or a tornado or a power outage, things like that. But having that more culture of resiliency built in allows you to to adapt and absorb those those incidents easier. Yeah, I agree with that. And the my approach to that is I always like to work with the risk teams to identify, well, what are those key risks and threats that we need to be aware of, which helps us think more in terms of those scenarios that you talked about. Um, I didn't plan on asking you this, so I, I hope you don't mind me interjecting a, a new question here, but how do you come up with the themes for the conferences? That's that's tough, but we have to stay generic. I mean, and what, what's trending in the in the space, uh, no, a lot of those are metrics-based because we can, we can see from years of running the website, the uh, webinars, uh, the events as whole, we see what's trending. Um, but again, you know, looking at the the topic of operational resilience, that that has become the the talking point for the past five years, and it's going to continue to expand, I believe, uh, heavily because again, that 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 focus on resiliency is is much more diverse. It's it's much more of a cultural type of adoption across the board. So that's what we try and do. We try and follow the trends of the space, and we don't really want to lead. Um, you know, the focus, but but we try and follow the trends and adapt accordingly to that. I know uh, pandemic uh, years were hard on conferences, but you're starting to see attendance get back to pre-pandemic levels now? Yes, the pandemic was beyond challenging uh, <laughs> for for many of us and in many industries, including the in-person events. Uh, but I'm, I'm incredibly proud of what DRJ did by pivoting. And I, I hate to use the word pivoting because that, that became the buzzword of the pandemic. Uh, but we pivoted to the virtual events and the only one in our space to do so. And we're very proud to do to say we ran three completely vir- virtual events, maxing out at over a thousand attendees at each one of those. Uh, but as the pandemic was winding down, we struggled on trying to figure out how we were going to return to in-person, how quickly we could. Uh, we realized many companies were saving tons and tons of money by not sending staff around the globe. Uh, and we realized those budgets would come back slower. Uh, and But we, we really had no projections and no forecasts. So we had originally forecast a, a growth of about 3% show to show. Uh, luckily, we blew that forecast out of the water. We ran 12, 12 almost 13% uh, wow. show to show since returning back in person. I, I do contribute a lot of that to the one of the great reputation of DRJ, but also the growing level of importance of business continuity. I, I think the pandemic gave us a platform. You no longer had to explain internally what you did as a business continuity professional because it was front and center for everyone to see. So I, I hope us as professionals, we take that momentum, we capture some of it uh, and really establish ourselves as a C-level uh, seat at the table. Uh, out of that. So what I want to ask you is if you see a correlation or a difference uh, between people who attend DRJ versus people who are kind of your more traditionally active posters on LinkedIn, like, do you see a correlation? Is it people who are active on LinkedIn are the same ones who go to the conference or is that a different subset of people? I don't know that because LinkedIn's challenging from my perspective because I, I'm on it every day, every hour. I'm, I'm I'm up 
because my feed may look different than your feed. And right. so the people that, that I see traditionally post actively on LinkedIn are folks like yourself, Lisa Jones, uh, James Green, uh, th those very active individuals with not only uh, within LinkedIn community, but they're also in the DRJ community heavily. So right. I, I don't know how that correlates well, because again, my feed may look differently than your feed just because of your network and uh, the folks you follow now, some people might be experiencing pushback from their organization for the cost to attend, but you've addressed that, and it's a pretty clever tool. You have an ROI calculator that talks about the value of all of the things that happen at the conference. So that's networking, connections, uh, the, the different uh, learning and, and, and growth that people are getting. So explain what that's all about and how that works, please. Sure. We Well, we launched it, I believe our ROI calculator launched about 10 plus years ago. And it's funny how we see it replicated everywhere now. <laughs> Every one of our competing event sites have almost identical looking uh, ideas and things like that around that that ROI calculator. But that's understandable because you can use it pretty well at any event. It, it's really a tool that allows individuals to assess you know, I guess the benefits and the value that they can receive by attending DRJ events. Uh, it's very subjective and it aims to help attendees uh, evaluate the, the overall worth of their investment of time, money, and effort to get to the DRJ shows. Have you gotten so, good feedback on that from people who said, hey, I used the calculator and my boss signed off on it? We do a lot of people in, in years ago, we, we used to put it up as a straight PDF and now it's an editable uh, word document. So you can punch in your own information, your own details and add your own uh, bits, tidbits and things like that that may help internally for your own budget approval. But we do see a lot of people use it. I'm actually, believe it or not, attending my first ever DRJ conference in September. Um, I've never gone. The cost has always been what I consider to be prohibitive. So I'm an independent contractor. So not only do all of these costs come out of my own pocket, but it's also uh, an impact on my earning time, right? It's not billable hours right. while I'm at the conference. So the the costs of, of all of that, plus travel and expenses and so forth started to, to add up. So I, I've never been before. So for people like me who might be coming to their first DRJ conference, what can we expect? Well, sure. I, I guess in outside of the agenda, because the, the agenda and our specific topics vary show to show uh, as we try and strive to, to cover the most up-to-date topics and trends again in our space. But one thing in common with every DRJ event that you hear is just the incredible networking opportunities, whether it be uh, networking with other attendees, the knowledgeable speakers, which are some of the most active subject matter experts in the space, as well as the largest service providers in our space, the largest exhibit hall. Now, there's always someone to network with and learn from a DRJ. Uh, and with, with DRJ events being the industry-leading event in our profession, since its inception, I can confidently say that we, we have the best gathering of professionals in our space. We don't sell it as just only executives or just first-timers or just certified folks. We promote it at all levels, pulling the most diverse and well-represented show at, the, at pretty well every level. Uh, and that adds to that networking because if all, all the like-minded individuals are sitting around telling us, hey, well, you have 20 plus years of experience and that's the only thing, it, it's challenging to learn in that environment. With having such a diverse audience, it, it's 
it's very effective for the networking. We provide so many networking opportunities over those four days. It, it's incredible. The other, the other big thing that I think a lot of people are not aware of is, as a bonus, all DRJ attendees have access to nearly every single session on demand for, for 90 days after the show. Okay. Uh, this real this this allows all the attendees to attend sessions that they may have missed in person because a lot of those sessions run concurrently. You can't attend all five six in a in a single track, but with having those recordings on demand, you can go back once you're back to the office and review them. You can share them with your your uh, coworkers, things like that. And it's also a major perk that that no other industry event still offers today. So, and that I was going to ask you for some advice on what people can do to get the most out of the time at the conference. Uh, and that I will count that last answer as, as a, a good starting point, because as I was going through the program and trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to go see? There's invariably two or three things in the same time slot. And uh, knowing that we have access to that stuff on demand really makes those decisions a lot easier um, but what advice would you give for people to really make the most of the time? Sure. And that's a, that's a deep question. I mean, that is a, I, I could expand on that for forever, especially knowing we've ran nearly 70 events. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, I can recommend kind of a long, my quick laundry list, if you want to call it that sure. <laughs> is one, first off, don't be afraid to ask questions. That's questions to the, to the staff, to the DRJ staff, to the speakers, things like that. I hate to use the old adage saying the only stupid question is the one not asked, but, mm -hmm. but it's, it's actually true. Uh, next is plan ahead. Review the agenda. See what sessions you want to attend. See what exhibitors you want to visit. See what speakers you really want to converse with. Try and set up some some conversations prior to the event. Uh, again, the approach the presenters. Most of these, most of our presenters, which are true subject matter experts in their space, they they love to talk. Some may a little may talk a little too much, but it's <laughs> it's all, all worthy. It's all all worth. It's very well time spent. So what are you saying, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of speakers love to chat, and we we many many sessions. We actually have to move them to the hallway because the next session is is trying to kick off, and they still have twelve. 13 people waiting to converse with them. So yeah. I, I would highly recommend approaching the presenters. Again, they love to converse and they, they love to talk about their areas of expertise. So uh, the next is just network with everyone. And the key thing is including the exhibitors. I, I know everybody are, there, there's a big population of our attendees that don't like walking the exhibit hall or they're afraid they're going to get hard sell and things like that. But they're truly massive subject matter experts they know every topic they know every every uh, sector you know they they work and see so many organizations they have so much input and knowledge in in so many areas that i i think we disregard them and so i i always highly recommend folks to to walk the exhibit hall talk to exhibitors consultants contractors things like that so uh, that's a huge opportunity also connect on social media. We have a, a very large following. It's it's another networking opportunity that many may, again, disregard, but there's a lot of discussions being had on Twitter, on LinkedIn, things like that. Um, the next up is attend networking events. Uh, many of the best discussions I know I've had uh, take place outside of the normal 
networking breakfasts or lunches, things like that. Those those evening networking events are an opportunity for us to disconnect, unwind, and talk in a more casual, I guess, atmosphere. So, and the next is take notes and share it with your coworkers. And again, that goes back to that that topic on those recordings. If there's a topic or a session that you think Bill in accounting or Betsy in auditing would would love to hear share it expand that and again it gives gives back to that that kind of roi on your on your investment in the show because it does allow you to share with your coworkers. one time uh on this podcast i was speaking with uh, an executive we were talking about what advice he would give uh, to people to advance their career and what he said is never stop learning and a lot of what you said can be summed up into never stop learning, like go ask questions. We talk about that all the time. Be inquisitive. Um, don't just stay on the surface. And so I really like what you said there. You talked about presenters. I, I want to give encouragement to someone uh, who has always wanted to present at a conference, but they've never maybe either had the self-confidence or the courage or whatever to, to step up and do that. So what advice would you give to someone who's in that situation? They've always wanted to present, but they've just never done it. What's the best way to break into that? The best way I would suggest is to, if you're, if you're not ready to take the full dive into in a, a large event like DRJ, uh, start with your local networking groups, find your local ACP uh, and most okay. major cities have a, have a, you know, a large or a small gathering of, of like-minded professionals. They're always looking for presenters. It's an opportunity to present to 20, 25 people instead of jumping right into the hundred to five, 600 uh, at the DRJ. But, but the thing is, I'd, I'd say, just do it. It's incredibly rewarding on so many fronts. Um, it'll allow you to share your own knowledge and expertise with a larger audience than outside your own organization. They, they, they'd they appreciate it more as well. So um, it increases your visibility to a much larger audience. Uh, it's also going to increase your professional and development credibility. And it's also personally fulfilling. But I, I would suggest to start small. I mean, especially if you're if you're nervous or cautious on your ability to speak, approach those local networking groups. That's a great opportunity. And then maybe for the first time on the bigger stage, one of the things that I've always thought was a good idea is to maybe get on a panel and you don't have to carry the whole presentation yourself. Does that sound like pretty good advice? It, it is. And we, we, we sell that a lot to not only more new folks, but also folks that are challenged on time because it, you know, it, it, it takes time and, and a lot of time and resources to create a very powerful presentation. And so we folks that are, that are true knowledge sources to, you know, to, to participate on these panels, because again, it allows them the opportunity to share their knowledge without putting all that time and effort into developing recession. So yeah, that's great advice. And so uh, for anybody who's listening, who has never presented and you'd like to break into it, feel free to reach out and uh, I would be willing to, to, to help move someone along uh, down that path. That, that sounds like fun. All right. So we've been talking a lot about the, the presentation. Let's talk a little bit about the organization here for a minute. And I know that 
diversity. You you talk about having diverse speakers and things like that. So I know that DEI is an important topic to you. I might have kind of a difficult question here, but before I get to that, just talk about your commitment to DEI and and really what your focus is and what that means to you. Sure. Uh, we, we did announce a, a DEI initiative uh, at our spring 23 event. Uh, we've been working on it for several years and we're, we're truly dedicated to making sure our events, our thought leadership and the BC profession as a whole are more accurate reflection of the world we all live in. Uh, we're, we're in the initial phases of this, but our main first steps is around education. Education is on how or why this is important and why we need to be discussing it, especially in the context of business continuity risk management. Uh, this isn't just about black or white or older, young or sexual orientation. It's about our dedication to ensure the business continuity space becomes more diverse welcoming and inclusive. So uh, I'll leave it at that. It's a it's a very passionate topic of ours. And it, it's something that I think as risk managers, we all have to take notice of. We have to ensure we, we understand the importance of it. And I know that uh, DRJ Spring is, is in Florida, and I know Florida isn't exactly DEI friendly. And that presents a certain number of challenges for you as an organization as well. It does. And, you know, I, I really wish to stay away from the political topics as I, I just don't understand a lot of it. Uh, and, you know, as a small business, we're contracted for five, six years out at these events. So if there's challenges in, in environments, you know, we, we certainly are aware of them. We hear from our audience. We, we understand it. We're very empathetic to it, but, but we're challenged on many fronts. Uh, I'm just not sure how and why we got so divisive uh, in our country. It's just beyond my comprehension. You know, instead of being coming more together as a cohesive world, I, I think we've just become more divided and it's challenging. It seems both sides of the extremes get all the attention and the majority of us in the middle just scratch our heads and we, we end up paying the price for it. You know, I, I, I only, as personal note, I only wish, you know, things become more civil understanding and empathetic of each other and understand the scenarios we all face day to day. So, you know, that that's, and these are, these are going to be tasks and, and I hopefully goals and outcomes of our DNA uh, discussions, because there's a lot of things I don't see, you know, as, as, as my demographic and every, every group and every demographic has their own sort of challenges or barriers uh, to entering the profession, entering a show, entering a state, whatever it might be. So how do we, how do we break down those barriers? How do we ensure that all those barriers and, and, and we, and we were very inclusive and understanding and welcoming to everyone. So that, that's the, the end game. You know, I know it sounds very euphoric, but that that's sort of our goal with our DEI program. I, I mean, it might sound aspirational, but let's put it in, context of what we do for a living. A lot of times organizations will start a resilience program, business continuity management program, whatever it turns out to be. And uh, as it starts, it's got a certain level of immaturity. And as it grows and as it continues to mature, the program gets more substantial. And I think the same thing can be said for DEI initiatives, including your own and give it time and allow it to grow and allow it to mature. And I, I think that that's going to be key uh, to your success going forward. I do too. And I, I think understanding that we don't really understand everything is key. It's, it's that empathy. And I always go back to this 
to the step of, you know, are the one of the main things that I'm so passionate about it is my father was handicapped. I mean, he's been handicapped since 1990. He's been in a wheelchair. He's, he, he has barriers to things that most of us would never understand. I'm empathetic of that because I understand because I've lived with him for so many years, understanding those barriers, but, but someone without those challenges may not understand the barriers that he, he faces pretty well every day of his life. So how do we address those? How do we identify them and then have plans of attack to, to correct those? I'd like to know um, best way, I guess, for people to connect with you and, and maybe even more importantly than that is what's the best way for people to learn more and to register for DRJ fall. Most certainly. Well, the easiest thing is my, my, I'm pretty sure one of the easiest emails in the world is Bob at drj.com. They don't get I would much agree easier. With that. <laughs> so <laughs> people try and give me my, their emails. I'm like, let me give you mine. And you could just shoot me an email because it's very simple. You could call our office uh, anytime. Also drj.com is just a well world of resources. Uh, we have so many tools, articles. We publish on average about 25 new articles a month. And so we have uh, about 138,000 subscribers uh, right now on drj.com. So I, I'd recommend at least visiting drj.com. And of course, DRJ fall and spring are both uh, linked directly from our site. So as well as the, you know, our two main social media outlets are LinkedIn and Twitter. So you can certainly always reach out to us via that. So Bob, hey, thanks for coming by the podcast. I appreciate having you here and uh, good luck with DRJ fall. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Mark. I want to thank Bob Arnold for being my guest on this week's episode and talking to us about DRJ Fall 2023. By the way, all managing partners of the Resilience Think Tank are going to be in attendance at DRJ Fall. So come look for us and talk to us about some exciting things that we have in store for the Resilience Think Tank. The Resilient Journey podcast has a lot of great guests lined up as we head through the rest of the year. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.